Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the police and saw him, he passed on the other side. But a Samaritan was traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, the man who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is my power moment. Y'all may be seated. Yeah. Yeah, we had a change in the scripture, so you got the one that actually had a sermon written from it. Uh, a lot of different changes uh, that are going on today. And, uh, and it's funny in the midst of change, um, out of all the different uh, preachers that we can call on, um, you know, with, with having some guest speakers that we're going to preach in uh, our two main services, uh, being out, uh, associate pastor being out, uh, Pastor Terry was off this week, she wasn't supposed to preach. Um, and I called her at the last minute. She was at a wedding yesterday, and I said, uh, you know, is there a possibility you can preach at 9, and I'll preach at 8, 30, and 11? She said, well, what's the scripture? And I said, the Good Samaritan. She was like, well, I'm sure I've got a good sermon on the Good Samaritan somewhere. Because um, we're all about efficiency. And I try to be an efficient person. I think a lot about productivity. I, I think about how I can do uh, the, the most amount in the least amount of time sometimes. And that might really surprise some of you guys that have sat through my sermons. Uh, but I try to be efficient. Um, I, I try to, to kind of get through things in a, in a really quick way. And this kind of uh, overflows into other areas of my life. As a student, like when it comes to an assignment, have you all ever had a word count like on a, a paper or a time limit on a project? They give you kind of a range and they'll say, uh, the minimum is a thousand words and the maximum is, and I was like, you don't even have to tell me. I was, all I needed was a thousand words. Don't, don't even worry about the maximum. You tell me a project has to be between 10 and 20 minutes, my project's going to be 10 minutes. It's going to be right there in that the, the thing that meets the standard, gets things done, uh, communicates things, get the bottom line kind of up front. And so it worked out well uh, with me trying to be a very efficient person um, that when I joined the military, uh, I joined a system to where we try to do things as efficiently as possible. We get rid of anything like coherent sentences don't need those at all. Just kind of throw those right out the window. We, we have acronyms for everything. 
My OER is due to the DCO by EOB. You can, kinda, you can speak in incredibly complex ways and, and nobody can really even understand you, but at least you're efficient, right? You can get things done really quickly. Now, the problem is, is this happens in our lives because uh, we already have too much going on. Now, I almost said we have a lot going on, but the reality is, is we have too much going on. We're trying to fit in too many things in our days. And so what happens is we make sort of priority lists in our mind about what are the most essential things that we need to get done and what is the most efficient way that we can get the most amount of those things done. So in all of my productivity journals, there might be like a list that I can list my tasks, but then it always asks me, what are the top three things? So of a list of maybe 10 things, what are the three that if you get these three done, it's been a successful day. The other ones, you can kind of figure out some other way to do it, or you can delegate them out to some other people. And so we boil things down to the essentials. What are the essential things that we've done? And that's a really good way to live if you're focused on productivity, if you're focused on uh, getting the most amount of things done, but when we translate that into other areas of our lives, particularly our faith, um, efficiency is, is not always the best system. And, and really, in a lot of ways, we really have to call efficiency into question in some of the other areas of our lives as well. What are we, what are we carving off? What are we missing when we take the shortcuts? Um, I, I had a time when uh, I did some clinical chaplaincy work at UAB for about six months, and uh, as I was working as a hospital chaplain there doing some of my work, um, I was extremely efficient. Uh, there wasn't a, a chaplain in all of UAB that saw more patients in a day than me. So when I would come into my shift, I would have a list with maybe 30 or 40 names, and I would see every single one of those patients. I would clear that list off every day. And, and I kind of had it as a point of pride that I wanted to make sure that the chaplain that came in after me during the next shift would have a clean slate wouldn't have anything that they needed to do, just sort of respond to needs that kind of popped up in the moment. And man, I was proud of that. 34 visits a day, some of the other chaplains, they were getting maybe 15 visits a day, maybe 20 visits a day. Man, I was blowing everybody out of the water. It was great. I was more efficient than anybody else there. But then my, my supervisor, um, she asked me, she was like, man, she was like, you're seeing a lot of visits. And I was like, yes, ma'am. And I thought I was going to get my little pat on the back, increasing efficiency, increasing productivity. And she said, I wonder if you're having a lot of visits because you're not having as many deep visits. And I was like, ooh, that one got me. Was I having visits that checked the box, that made people um, aware that we were there, that we were praying for them, but was I not spending the time uh, to really explore with them uh, what was actually going on in their lives and have some of those really deep conversations? Because it turned out that you can have one visit that changes somebody's life, or you can have 40 visits that maybe just sort of let somebody know that you're there, that there's a big difference when we look at efficiency <laughs> rather than what God can do with faithfulness. And so this is something that I think Christians have struggled with for a long time. Uh, we like to boil things down to what's essential. 
uh, for 2,000 years. We, we see even in our scripture today that as Jesus is teaching, uh, this lawyer that comes up to, to sort of test Jesus a little bit, to, to try to trap him in some of his scriptures, but I think in some ways is really an honest question, is he asked Jesus, uh, how do I inherit eternal life? What do I do to inherit life? And this is a great question because we as Christians, we, we, we really want to know what are the things that we need to do or to believe or, or how do we put our faith into action? Uh, what is Jesus asking us to do? What is, what is God's purpose for us? And so what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus sort of turns the question back on him. He knows that this lawyer is sort of a master of uh, the Jewish scriptures. And he says, what do you see in the text? What do you see in the scriptures? And so the lawyer says, love the Lord your God with all your mind, your heart, your soul, and your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is like, you got it. You know the answer now you have to go do it. Now, we as, we as Christians, we're, we're a little uneasy with sort of those, those squishy answers that Jesus gives us to just go out into the world and love other people. Um, that can be kind of a really broad question. And so the lawyer, he does what we all like to do. And let's boil this down to the essentials. To love my neighbor as myself. Okay, let's, let's get that down even smaller. Let's, let's get this down into the nugget. What are you really asking us to do, Jesus? Who is my neighbor? If I have to love somebody, at least let me know who it is I have to love so I don't have to waste all of that emotion and all of that energy and all that efficiency and all those people that don't deserve it, right? What's the bare minimum that I can get down to to check the box of faithfulness? And so Jesus tells him of the man who was walking down the road. And robbers came upon him and beat the life out of him, y'all. Just left him for dead. And then a priest came by and walked on one side of the road past him and didn't even do anything. And then a Levite, another, another religious authority at the time, walked by and did nothing. And then a Samaritan, uh, somebody who is uh, racially separated, somebody who uh, the social status was, was jarring and shocking to somebody that would be hearing this, this parable at the time, stopped and cared for the man's wounds. Picked him up and put him on his own donkey, took him down to the, the local bed and breakfast, paid for some time for him to stay there for a little while until he was better, even left some money at the front desk to, to say, pay for everything that he needs while he's here. I'll come back and pay you what extra you spend. And so this story, when we look down to it, is really three different people asking each other an essential question of boiling it down into that moment as who is more important? Am I more important? Is my safety more important? I mean, y'all, there's robbers on this road. I can't be waiting to treat somebody else who's, who's probably already gone. He's, he's too far gone. My time is more valuable. My plans are more valuable. My safety is more valuable. And so two of them answer the question, 
that they are more important than the one who has been beaten or maybe got what he deserved or maybe is too far gone. There's not anything that we could do to help anyway. I'm sure somebody else will come along. They felt they or their time or their plans or their safety was more important. But then the Samaritan, as he came by, the least likely, the one that that, that had the least qualifications to care for other people, stopped and treated his wounds, took him to a place to stay, to rest and recover, paid for his his well-being, his upkeep. Because he answered that essential question that we like to boil things down to. And to who is more important, whose safety, whose time, whose plans is more important, is this man who's had the life beaten out of him. Has people walk right past him to spend just a little bit extra time making sure that he just keeps him alive. In a lot of ways, we always talk about how much further this good Samaritan goes than the priest and the Levite. But the reality is, is he does the bare minimum of keeping him alive. He doesn't cancel his other plans. He doesn't cancel his trip that he's going on. He doesn't take the man home with him. He doesn't give him his spare bedroom and have his family take care of him or sit by his bedside at night. He doesn't, he doesn't change his entire life in this moment He simply chooses to place that man's life above his own. Let me just keep him alive and give him a chance at getting better. So three different people, and one of them answered that essential question when it boils down to, what is more important right now? And so we as Christians, we always think about our time. How do we have time to add in more devotions or to attend worship or uh, to, to volunteer for service projects or to volunteer for things that are going on in the community or things like vacation Bible school and stuff like that? These are all sacrifices and these are all opportunities that we have uh, to kind of lean in and to step in uh, that create questions of priority in our lives because our schedules are so full At this point, for us to even think about adding one other thing means we have to push something else out. And with our budgets and with our time and our attention, typically what happens is the things that we push out of our lives are the things that would have the most impact in turning our lives around. Things like relationships. Things like self-care and good healthy practices like exercising and eating well. Visiting with others, spending time with them putting ourselves in a position to where we put others' lives before our own for even just a short moment, for an afternoon, creates so much sacrifice and so much reordering and so much chaos in our schedules that we often ask ourselves, is it even worth it? And so we find ourselves in that same position that the lawyer did of trying to find what are those practices that we can add into our lives? What are those boxes? Who are the people that we need to be able to love that are going to get the maximum amount of value out of the small amount of time that we have? And so when Jesus revisits the lawyer after telling them the story and he says, which one of these was a neighbor to the man who was robbed? He said, the one who showed mercy. 
Jesus is asking us to rewire our entire idea of what it means to be essential, what it means to, uh, to be efficient in our lives, and to move from not wanting to check the box onto who is our neighbor, but instead asking ourselves, instead of thinking about who is our neighbor, how can we focus on how can we be neighborly? How can we think that instead of looking for small moments in our day to where we can add some faithfulness, we can read our scripture, we can have a devotion, we can check in on some friends, we can sit with somebody in the hospital. Instead of thinking how we can reorder our schedules to have some moments of faithfulness, we can ask how can faithfulness permeate every part of our schedule? How can everything we do have a place to where we can show mercy? to where we can be a sign of hope, that we can pour out God's spirit, to where we can draw closer to God, and to say that we do love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. Because usually when we end up being more efficient, just by the nature of the way that we prioritize our schedule, we, we usually end up putting our concerns first. What's more important? What's more impactful? What's more profitable? And if things start bumping up the things that we think are essential, the first things we cut out are the things that God thinks is essential. It's dangerous to stop and to pick up somebody who's been mobbed, somebody who's been robbed and beaten on the side of the road when there's robbers and bandits all around you. It's hard to give the money that you already had plans for uh, to take that person down to the local hotel or to the hospital and to get them the care that they need, to put your plans on hold for a little while because it creates entire chaos in our system. But the times that we find those moments to be neighborly, to have conversations that go deeper than the ones that we intended to have or to have moments where we take a step out on faith that's just a little bit further than what we would have had before, where we consider what's the least I can do to put somebody just a little bit before me this week and then take those small bits of faithfulness until all of a sudden our schedule becomes a shining example of God's purpose in our lives. When we do those small steps of faithfulness, they add up to incredible impacts in God's kingdom. God does incredible things with the small gifts that we give, the small acts of faithfulness, and things that we've never imagined would be possible. That God changes people's lives. What I love about this story is you never find out if the man even goes back to check on him. Maybe when he goes back to check on him, the guy's already gotten better and he's already left to go back home. The point is that we don't always know the outcome of what a small moment of faithfulness can do. What God can do in the world with a small act of generosity, of mercy, and of compassion but those gifts through scriptures and through today are ones that grow beyond anything we can ever imagine. And so when we go from efficient to faithful, when we go from asking God, what are the boxes I need to check to how can I pour out your kingdom in every moment of my day? We see our lives we see our communities, and we see this world changed in a way that we never knew before. So how can we go from being neighbors to being neighborly? And finding opportunities to show mercy and grace and compassion to not just the people that are immediately around us, 
but to people that would have never thought of us as a neighbor to begin with. And to see grace coming from that angle that they never anticipated. And they see light coming out of that darkness that they thought was never going to end. They start seeing joy come out of hopelessness that they thought was too dark and too suffocating uh, to ever see life or joy again. Or they see peace break into conflict. We go from efficient to faithful. And God takes that faithfulness and transforms the world. Amen and amen. Will you pray with me today? Almighty and gracious God, we give you thanks. Because, Lord, we don't just squeeze you into our days. We don't just find single moments or opportunities or uh, just a couple minutes or hours here or there to think about you. But, God, uh, we ask for your spirit and we try to create moments uh, that, Lord, permeate every part of our schedule. That our tasks of our day don't become how we can move ourselves forward, but God, how we can move you forward. How we can, how we can illuminate your kingdom. God, how we can show grace and mercy and compassion. And God, how we can move from being neighbors to being neighborly in every moment of our lives. Lord, help us to move beyond just the essentials that we see to the faithfulness that calls us to show your grace and your kingdom in every moment of our day. As we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen and amen.